Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, I've not heard this expression very often, and it's the two words put together called intellectual humility. We're going to talk about that all day with Dr. Peter Hill. I can't wait. Peter is a professor at Biola. He's got his degree in social psychology. And I have a feeling Peter and I have several things in common. I'm getting to meet him for the first time today. Peter, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you spent some time in Houston. You got your PhD there. So I lived in Houston for a little bit myself. So we have that in common. All right. And also you just spent a little bit of time at Grove City College. So you must be friends with Paul Kangor. Oh, yes. I know Paul quite well. Yeah. Good, good, good man. So yeah. see, we have some stuff in common, right? <laughs> we do. <laughs> and uh, I do know another Peter Hill, which is a friend of mine. So uh, you're my second Peter Hill I've met in life. So this is very exciting. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, Bill T. Arnold, which you don't uh, know, but maybe one day you'll get to know him. Then you'll know a couple of us. So I think we're, right. we're better in, in bulk. I think if we show up in bulk, it's better. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So thanks for joining the program. Uh, I found this topic to be fascinating and I found you to be extremely interesting. And I thought Peter will be great on the show. So let's get him. So maybe we could just start by talking a little bit about, you know, what is intellectual humility and how is it different than humility in general? Sure. I think maybe because it's often a, a misconceived uh, idea, I think we need to first of all say what what humility and that would also include intellectual humility, what it is not. Uh, because so often we when we think of a humble person, we sort of have that that Uriah heap, you know, that Dickens character in mind of a uh, a stoop-shouldered, self-deprecating individual uh, who's timid and weak and incapable. But that's not what humility is. And it's, uh, in fact, it's, it's uh, in, in some ways, quite, quite the opposite, that it, it really requires a, a certain uh, sense of self-worth uh, and, and dignity uh, in order to be a humble person. And so in broad strokes, I think when we're talking about humility in general, we're talking about a motivation to discount uh, self-serving thoughts and attitudes that we have, evaluations of ourselves, and we have a corresponding uh, uh, increased respect and appreciation for the value of, of others. And in the, in, in the area of intellectual humility, we're really talking about specifically the realm of ideas and beliefs and opinions. And that's, it's far more than just tolerance of disagreement. Uh, philosophers have, have long for a long time talked about inner intellectual virtues and humility would be just one of those. Uh, and like humility in general, uh, intellectual humility should be thought of, I think as, as a motivational drive that at, at its heart, is a deep, overriding, intrinsic concern for knowledge. 
knowledge for its own sake, not as an end in itself, not Mm -hmm. as a means to some other end, you know, like financial gain or something such as that. So I want to make the case that I think more than anything else, it is a motivation to understand and not a motivation to persuade, especially in social discourse. Uh, So it's not like I'm coming in to, to teach you that you need to be corrected. Uh, as much as it is, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. All right. I appreciate that distinction a lot because that is very helpful. And it probably is a big temptation for people with a lot of intellectual capacity to show up and be the one that has the answers. That it, it, it probably is. Leaders, whether they be uh, intellectual leaders, uh, teachers or uh, folks in, in academia or, or leaders in the corporate world, for instance, uh, and as well as in the church, uh, they're, they're usually very capable people. Right. And uh, they got to that position because they're capable. So sometimes they're going to be finding it quite difficult to be intellectually humble. And Peter, they're going to be valued for their intellectual capacity and they're going to, we're going to want their wisdom. Uh, but there must be a fine line between a person who comes across with great humility and someone that comes across with a little bit of a know-it-all uh, attitude. Yeah. yeah. You know, Jim Collins uh, wrote a, a very influential book back, oh, I guess it was around 2005 or something. Good to great. It's on a, oh, it's on a bookshelf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of bookshelves. And, and uh, he, he made a very interesting, so he did a study of, 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 uh, businesses, corporations that were doing well after uh, a, a perhaps even a charismatic leader had left and found that the, the key for the, the corporation to continue to do well was how much humility did that leader show. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't just his or her capabilities, uh, vision, uh, all of those things were important. But what seemed to be the discriminating factor was the intellect, the, the humility in general, but intellectual humility, which meant that that leader was listening uh, to uh, the, the the folks on the management team uh, and was uh, building a, a resource there, uh, a human resource that was corporately now available in that in that corporation. Mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking today about intellectual humility. I find this topic so interesting, and I've got a bunch of questions, but I also want to make it available for you to ask anything that comes to your mind regarding intellectual humility. You can send the question over to 877-933-2484. Peter, did you know I might be springing that on you? No, but that's okay. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, I, I, I figured. What about in a situation where someone might be older than you and might have a a fair amount of understanding about a particular subject and they make a mistake and they find it then hard to apologize because it's hard to be intellectually humble at times. It is. Uh, I I know that as, uh, as in in the classroom, as a university professor, uh, you want to come across, especially if you're in a position where people have expectations of you, you want to come across as knowledgeable. You want to come across as uh, knowing what you're talking about. And it's often difficult. Uh, I think there's uh, a, a certain fear that we might have that we're losing some of our uh, authority 
to to uh, admit that maybe we just don't know the answer or perhaps that we are wrong. Uh, and I think, you know, we expect that sometimes of our, our, our politicians. In fact, we're, we're, we're critical of some of our politicians sometimes when they actually change their view. And in some ways, I see that as a strength. You know, if 10 years ago somebody voted this way, the, the pundits often make a, a big deal out of that saying, look, this is what you said 10 years ago. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that? (laughs) And and in reality, it could be, no, you know, I've rethought that position or I've I've learned some things. And I think that that's actually a virtue that they they might have, but we don't treat it that way. Mm -hmm. Peter, how is humility, and that would include intellectual humility, how is that different from like a a low self-regard? Yeah, I think, I think, you, you have to have uh, to re- truly be a humble person. It, it requires a certain secure sense of self-worth. Um, you see, Ar- Aristotle actually talked a lot about uh, virtues in general, and he always placed it as kind of a balance between two extremes. So, for instance, cl- uh, courage as a virtue is somehow a balance between uh, not uh, feeling like you can can, can do anything. You're afraid to, to take chances, uh, but you're also not reckless. Well, in the case of humility, it's a, it's a balance, I think, sometimes between uh, arrogance, because that's what we usually think of. You know, a humble person is not arrogant, but a humble person is also not servile. A humble person is not somebody who uh, is just at the wishes of, of everybody else and just willing to change his or her mind uh, once uh, uh, somebody presents an idea to them. Uh, it requires a, a certain degree of confidence in oneself. Uh, and so it's, I, I think it is really quite different than a low self-regard or servility. Mm-hmm. What uh, would you consider to be good indicators of intellectual humility? I, I already mentioned one, yeah. and I think it's it's at the heart of it. The, the desire to understand and not uh, necessarily jump into, like, I've got to change this person's okay. mind. Especially in social discourse, that, that would be true. Uh, but I think another is uh, uh, just being teachable, uh, that you want to, to learn. That's where that desire, I think, to understand comes in. And I think another good motivational uh, indicator is are you just curious? Uh, is it, 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 does curiosity uh, is that something that that you you seem to have uh, maybe across various domains um, I, at a behavioral level? I think uh, I think listening well, uh, in other words, not dominating in conversation. I think is an important uh, behavioral indicator of of intellectual humility. Uh, just simply, are you willing? And, and it's a willingness a lot of times to explore all options uh, in, in your thinking. Uh, for instance, on a, as a behavioral uh, indicator, you know, do you, do you look for various resources to inform you? Or do you just stick with what you're most comfortable with? Are you just a CNBC or a Fox News fan, for mm-hmm. instance? And if it's only one or the other, either, and, and it goes in both directions, if it's only one or the other, 
then I think that's an indication that you're not really wanting to explore all options, which again, I think is a, is an indicator. Mm-hmm. Dr. And, then, and then I think, do you take joy? This is again, more on the interpersonal level. And by the way, I'll be going back and forth a lot between intrapersonal, what's going on inside. And then, and then the relation that you have with others interpersonal. And do you take joy in other people's accomplishments uh, is there a lack of jealousy uh, that, that's there? I think that's uh, that's another sign of intellectual humility. Mm, that's so interesting. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking about intellectual humility. We'll be right back after a short break. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. back with Dr. Peter Hill. We're talking about intellectual curiosity. I mean, I'm sorry, intellectual humility. There I go. <laughs> but one of the last points you made was about being curious. Are you curious? I've been thinking about that the whole break. There are times, Peter, where after a full day of work and interacting with people and dealing with all of life's issues and problems that you have, that sometimes your tank is low. And generating curiosity can be a little bit of work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I I don't think intellectual humility is an easy thing. Okay, good. Uh, Glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's going to be difficult. Uh, and like you said, for instance, the willingness to explore all options. Um, that's that's quite a task I agree. Uh, when you get right down to it and right. and and it's it's trying to be even-handed maybe you're not going to get to all options but it's trying to look at them in an even-handed fashion mm-hmm. and that that requires a certain level of discipline mm-hmm. so uh, peter is intellectual humility like a, a trait something i have or don't have um and does it vary from let's say situation to situation where maybe in some situations you have it and in others you don't yeah, that's a that's a tough question because most of the research to date uh, on this, and, and uh, by the way, uh, humility hasn't been discussed much or researched much by social scientists, at least uh, psychologists, sociologists, and so forth, um, until about the last oh, 15, 20 years, and intellectual humility even even more recent than that. And so most of the research has been sort of conceptualizing it as a trait that you either yet you are intellectually humble or you 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 tend to be intellectually humble. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe you're not extremely humble, maybe you're partially humble, but but it's it's a trait that you're you're pretty stable with. 
Um, now we're beginning to question that a little bit. And I guess we, we knew all the way along that eventually we would get around to questioning that, that notion. Because certainly there are going to be situations, maybe some very powerful situations, where even the most arrogant person might, might actually become quite humble. Uh, and, and maybe, um, you know, we often use the term mud on a person's face because mm-hmm. it made a real gaffe, a real, real uh, obvious error. So I think that there are some uh, uh, situations, and and we're just getting around to to studying that. Now, here, I think, are a couple of factors that that might be involved in that. Like, how accountable are you? The more accountability that you have, the more likelihood uh, you might be in a given situation to be intellectually humble. So if you are, are eventually, you know that there's going to be something that you have to answer to. Uh, that could increase one's uh, tendency, at least, towards towards humility. Uh, sometimes when you're dealing with something very complex, you know, I, I, you mentioned I, I was at the University of Houston, and actually some of my adolescent years were in the Houston area and, and uh, lived close to uh, NASA down in Clear Lake, uh, in the southeast part of the city. And there was a man in our church who I, uh, I had the highest respect for. And he was an engineer at NASA. He was one of the few people that I knew that worked at NASA. And I used to always think that he was so brilliant. And I remember one time telling him telling me, he said, you know, I only know a little bit about what's going on at NASA. I have my little niche. And that's all. And, and the, the level of complexity of things is, was a humbling experience for him. Uh, it kept him very grounded, I think. Uh, how objective is the outcome? That's another thing that might increase humility. I can be very humble about my golf game uh, <laughs> because yeah. there's a score there that shows up on the scorecard, <laughs> and, and I'd have to cheat quite a bit right. uh, to make that score look look pretty good. So, uh, you know, sometimes the outcomes are, are, are fairly objective, and in which case uh, uh, we might tend towards being more humble. So I think that it's going to vary some from situation to situation, and we're just beginning to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest as we are chatting today about intellectual humility. Peter, is it it always a good thing, or, or are there situations where you should not be intellectually humble? Well, um, I, I often tell some of my students uh, when you're uh, applying to graduate school, for instance, now is not the time to be humble, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that you want to show your strengths. Uh, but I, I really do think it comes back to, well, what do you mean when you're saying that, that you're humble uh, or intellectually humble? And, and I think, again, it is, it's not servility. And so we have to keep that in mind. It's not arrogance, but it's also not servility. So it is knowing your strengths as well as as your uh, weaknesses or your limitations. So I I think that uh, uh, there is uh, maybe a, a, a person has to be reminded of that, and that there is often for many folks a, a certain uh, a need for certainty in life, and so to have strongly held beliefs, core values that are there. And sometimes uh, if a person is thinking in terms of being intellectually humble, they may have trouble um, uh, 
trying setting that as a as a uh, a goal that they might have while trying to maintain uh, certain strong beliefs, certain strong values. And of course, for for Christians, that's uh, that's a, a very important point. I think. Um, I think there's also a, a, a tendency that we have to be uh, careful about, and that is to to not overemphasize what we don't know. Uh, in other words, there's a lot that we do know as individuals, and we need to recognize that. So it's the emphasis on the accuracy of uh, understanding oneself and a, a self-picture that I think is very important. So certainly there are some liabilities that we have to have to be uh, aware of and, and just be careful about. Peter, when you say you have to be careful not to talk or say too much about what you don't know, don't we always want to be as transparent as possible? Here's what I do know. Here's what I don't. Yeah, we do. Uh, and I think... Um, <clears throat> I think sometimes, uh, see, that the, there is a lot of research in social psychology, which you had mentioned is, is really my field and what kind of got me into this in the first place, um, that shows that we have, we have a lot of self-serving biases. Uh, for instance, uh, most of us would rate ourselves on a, say, a seven-point scale in terms of our overall evaluation, probably about a five. Now, we don't rate ourselves as a seven. We don't think we're the greatest thing that, that walks on, on the earth, but we don't rate ourselves a one or a two either. And so we have this, this tendency, I think, to, to, uh, to, to err. If we err, it's in the direction of a self-serving bias. We often refer to it as a better than average effect. So we want to be careful about that. But we can also especially people who are who have a tendency to be intellectually humble to want to downplay it sort of a modesty effect that's going on in in their minds and and it is uh, that 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 very delicate and careful balance between those two that we have to to be aware of mm-hmm. Peter you mentioned the word servility a couple of times and my dictionary uh, brain <laughs> would would say that that is someone who has this, this excessive desire to try to please people. I, it, do I understand that correctly? And yeah, are you, yeah. are you saying, I think so. yeah, how do we connect that to intellectual humility? Yeah. I, th- I think that, uh, that's, uh, th- there could be that tendency for some of us to think of humility and intellectual humility simply as I'm going to be very agreeable Uh, I'm going to uh, go along with what you say. In fact, I'll be easily convinced by what you will say. (laughs) Uh, And and that's, again, that's not humility and it's not intellectual humility. Uh, You can still hold convictions. And uh, I hope we get to that point uh, in our discussion here uh, that you can have some strong beliefs and still be intellectually humble. Okay, we will definitely get to that part of the conversation about convictions. We'll do that after the break because that'd probably be the best time to do it. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. And if you have a question or comment, you can text it over 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If you have not signed up to be part of our Holy Week study, you can do that right now. You can Walk with Jesus as he travels to the cross this Easter. You can join us for the Holy Week study right now. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com.
faithradio.com. And if you've not gotten the Faith Radio app, I think we've made it easier for you to do that. You can text the word app to 877-933-2484. We'll send you a link. You can do it quickly and safely. We'll take a break and be right back with Dr. Peter Hill. So glad to be meeting and having Dr. Peter Hill on the program for the first time. He got his degree in social psychology at the University of Houston, his PhD there. He served uh, in at Grove City College in Pennsylvania for 17 years and now is professor of psychology at Rosemead School of Psychology at Biola University in La Marinda, California. We have lots of friends there, so we're awfully glad that we can get to know you a little bit. All right, uh, Peter, let us, let's start talking a little bit about um, why are there some things like religion or politics where it's really hard to be intellectually humble, or I should say at least for some people? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things where it's easy to be intellectually humble. Uh, <laughs> sometimes just preferences, you know, I happen to like blue better than red. Uh, that's nothing to, to get into a debate about. Uh, sometimes it's just conventional things like uh, dressing up for a, a, a particular event or not dressing up for a particular event. And if somebody violates it, we don't get too upset about it. But when you're getting into some areas, particularly where there's moral issues, moral beliefs, or existential beliefs, now, now it's getting a little bit, a little bit more dicey. I think, uh, after all, uh, like in the area of religion, uh, what I believe, well, my my destiny uh, may depend upon this. Uh, and as Christians, we believe that that it does, and so that's where the rubber starts to to meet the road. And uh, uh, holding onto a a belief or onto a core value is, uh, I think, sometimes a very uh, contentious thing, because this is where there are all centered around, oftentimes, moral beliefs. This is where there are differences. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can have uh, a Democrat and a Republican, and they both love their country, but they certainly see, perhaps, maybe in more extreme cases of both, quite different ways of of uh, addressing some of the problems that the country faces and they do have moral implications and i think that's when it is it's much more difficult plus i think one of the things that i mentioned before the break was uh in some of these areas there's not really for instance uh, an objective outcome uh, i i used my my golf game as an example earlier well, with religion, uh, there's not necessarily that kind of objective outcome. We think that there is uh, in, in eternity, 
but there isn't maybe upfront that we can say for, for, for absolute uh, clarity that one position is right and another position is wrong. So um, this is where, again, there's a, there, there are differences and sometimes those differences are contentious in nature. So Peter brings up the big question, which you had alluded to before the break, and that is, can you hold strong, deeply held beliefs and still be intellectually humble? I mean, because this yeah, is something, think, you're I, willing to die on this hill. I'm willing to go and say, <laughs> die, I'm going to die on this hill. So how can I be intellectually humble if that's my position? Yeah, well, it, intellectual humility isn't always just about the, the substance of a person's belief. Sometimes it's the way in which the belief is being held. So let me give you an, an example of this. One, one of my colleagues uh, on one of our major research projects, a guy by the name of Jason Barry, he's a philosopher at Loyola Marymount University. And he was uh, discussing intellectual humility uh, in, in, in an internal publication at the university. And this is what he had to say. He was uh, writing to students at his university and he was arguing that you can maintain a conviction. And he was using an example of his belief that white supremacy is a morally reprehensible position. Okay. And this is what he had to say. And now I'm quoting from him. He says, if I were to go and talk with a white supremacist person, this is what I would want to say. I disagree with you in the strongest possible terms. I am not open to being convinced by your position. Doesn't sound very intellectually humble at that point. However, neither am I willing to dismiss you as a person. Indeed, I suspect I have something worthwhile to learn by getting to know more about your story and how you come to see the world as you do. Mm -hmm. If you are willing, even temporarily, to set aside the beliefs in question and talk with me about who you are and where you are coming from, I am willing to do the same with you. I am open to the possibility that through such a conversation, we might be able to identify some common ground between us. That, I would argue, is, a, is, is holding a conviction and still being intellectually humble. Peter, uh, I often think of this as kind of a, yeah, I think it's called a Jenga, the, the game where you build a tower with blocks, and I might not have the right name for it, but, and, and, you know, and then the object is to pull out blocks out of the tower without making the tower fall. Well, some beliefs are going to be load-bearing beliefs that we have. Uh, and they, they, you can, you can maintain, everybody has them. Everybody has them. And it's the way in which you hold. Can you look at and even be willing to potentially revise some of those beliefs or at least uh, uh, be able to uh, uh, come up with, with even better reasons for holding those beliefs uh, and, and do so yet in a humble, humbly uh, fashion? which means showing respect and trying to understand why people might have different sets of beliefs. Mm -hmm. The way this gentleman stated that was so invitational. It would be hard to respond defensively to that invitation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I thought it was just a, a great example of, of intellectual humility and yet holding to what he, he firmly believed. 
Mm-hmm. You talk about load-bearing beliefs and that game where you can take things off without everything collapsing. For some yeah. reason, I just thought of, I mean, even our bodies, we can we can have an appendix taken out or a spleen or something, and we're, we're still alive, you know? That's right. That's not the heart right. or, or the kidneys or something, so. Um, yeah, and that's true of our faith. That's true of our faith as well. There are some, there are some non-negotiables, and there are some negotiables, I think. Mm-hmm. So when we are wanting to build those bridges to people who are difficult in their, in their personal strongly held beliefs, what you just read was a really good model. And I think if we can listen to it again and people can go on the podcast and hear it a second time, um, it, that requires work, effort, patience, and love, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I think more than anything else, it requires a willingness again, to try to understand. And, and sometimes that, that will involve um, looking for commonalities uh, that you don't, don't think are there otherwise. And, and uh, so you, you try to start with that as a, you're trying to be a bridge builder initially. And again, that's not servility. It's not saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to change my mind. Uh, or I have to change my mind. Mm-hmm. It might be that you even come up with better reasons for believing the way you do. Mm-hmm. Peter, I have a question for you from a listener. You ready? Yeah. You open to this? Most Christians would agree that the Bible is the final and infallible word of God. So how in a postmodern uh, rel- rel- relativistic culture how can one maintain the integrity of the word without slipping into duplicity or pluralism, or relativism? Well, I, I do think that that's uh, something to guard against. Uh, when we were in an earlier segment, we were talking about, you know, is, is intellectual humility always a good thing? Um, we don't want to slip into, into a relativism. Uh, so again, I think it's not so much necessarily changing the substance of what one believes, it's the willingness to consider other options. Why does another person have a different set of beliefs? Why do they, for instance, think it's, it's silly uh, to, to put scripture on, on such a, uh, a high plane and to try to understand their reasoning? First of all, I think we're going to be better communicators of our faith if we do that, uh, simply because we, we, we are showing respect uh, and and that's the way in which I think bridges will be built. So it, it's it's always a fine line. It's it's very difficult uh, to to uh, uh, to traverse that that line. And we need to uh, make sure that we understand what it is that we believe, why it is that we believe that. Are there good reasons for believing it? And understand that people will have some equally respectable reasons for believing otherwise. Whether or not they're correct or not is a whole nother, uh, a whole nother question. Mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest talking about intellectual humility. I'm cu- curious, Peter, how do you measure intellectual humility? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a tough one. Oh, I'm sorry, I mean, but uh, yeah, I feel like I got to ask it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, most of it we, we've relied on on self reports. Now we haven't we haven't um, 
we, we, we're not so crass as to just come out and say, are you intellectually humble? <laughs> we, usually, mm. we usually try to disguise what it is a little bit more that we're getting at, usually with multiple questions, multiple item scales. Uh, so, for instance, how aware are you of your limitations? How much do you appreciate your limitations? Uh, concern for status. How important is it for you to be recognized uh, for, for your, your gifts? Uh, uh, questions like that, which, again, are still socially desirable questions to answer, but hopefully they're a little, a little more subtle than, than just asking outright. But we also rely on informant ratings. Uh, there's actually a good theoretical reason to do that, and that is that uh, uh, if, if a person is truly humble, then maybe, uh, well, it, it probably should be noticed by other people. So we, we rely a lot on informant ratings. And then we have uh, some scales that are out there that very creatively that people uh, who are humble probably like to see humility in other people more than less humble people. In other words, it reflects a core value. So the questions are not so much about themselves as much as what do they like in other people. Peter, I would imagine that intellectual humility is very welcome in some places. I mean, if you're in ER at the hospital and you've got, you know, some metal shard of something in your forehead and the doctor comes in and he's telling you exactly how he's going to get it out and it's going to be a piece of cake and I got my degree at Harvard and you're going to go, bring it on, brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah. you're not going to have any issue with that, right? But- no, no, no. You, you, you want your pilot of the plane to, to uh, not go out and, <laughs> and consider all options uh, as, as the plane is, uh, you know, headed in a, in a downward fashion. Right. But when would intellectual uh, humility start to, I mean, wh- wh- when would you look at someone and say, hey, you need a little bit more intellectual humility? Well, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, I-, I mentioned earlier that sometimes it's an intrapersonal uh, um, uh, attitude that we have, and then there are interpersonal uh, aspects. And, and if, if, it's, if it's hurting a relationship, one, one thing that we have discovered about intellectual humility is that interpersonally, it's, it really serves at least two functions. One that we're calling a social oil function. In other words, there's less friction when we're around people who are, who are uh, humble, and especially intellectually humble people. So it, 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 it just seems to smooth relationships. The other is that there's a social bonding that seems to take place that we, we, we find connections with people that we think are intellectually humble. So if a person's not intellectually humble, then you're not going to find these, these, this social oil or social bonding taking place. Mm. So interesting. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking about intellectual humility. When we come back, I'm going to ask him about, is it something you can work at and develop? We're going to find that answer in just a couple of minutes. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. 
Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking today about intellectual humility. Peter, is intellectual humility something that we can intentionally work at and maybe get better at and maybe even develop from scratch? Well, I, um, I, I'm a little skeptical uh, on this one. I, I think some of it depends upon your motive. And if it's a notice, of, I haven't said anything about being preoccupied with this. Because I think preoccupation with humility and in, especially intellectual humility um, is is kind of running contrary to what intellectual humility and humility really is. Because there's a certain amount of almost self-forgetfulness that, that's going on here. And by that, I mean, you, you just don't think a lot about yourself all the time. You're not on center stage, you see. And if you are going to try to intentionally work at this, you're kind of putting yourself on center stage. So Mm. there's a bit of a dilemma uh, here. So I think that the better route to go is to talk about what are some of those indicators of being intellectually humble and focus more on those. For instance, being aware of our limitations and then really even owning those limitations and trying to do something about them. Uh, or uh, having a low concern for status. I think, you know, if you focus a little bit more directly on such characteristics or indicators of of humility and intellectual humility, then I think um, this is a a better route to go and something that maybe can be be, uh, developed. So those are... um, uh, that's a concern that I have, that you can become so self-focused, you can become so preoccupied with it that, you, you know, you can't see beyond yourself. And that's certainly running contrary to what, what humility should be. Mm-hmm. Peter, there is so much right now in our culture with, you know, like me on Facebook, like me, like me here. Tell me what you think yeah. about me. You know, there's so many people in need of so much affirmation because this is what we're feeding off of is tell me what you think of me. And you talked earlier about being aware of your limitations. And I think that every time you see somebody get up to receive an award, they say, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And I think, "Mm, no, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a lovely statement when you're holding a trophy, but I'm wondering if uh, this being aware of, of limitations do you hear that being said very often? No, and I think that's one of the the, the real uh, messages of of uh, this whole um, effort, if you will, of of trying to get us to be more conscious of of uh, who we are and and an accurate sense of of who we are, because limitations. Every we all have limitations, uh, and. And identifying what those are, realistically identifying what those are, is is part is part of this. So you're right on social media, and look at the collateral damage oh, that's doing my. Uh, you know, with with adolescents especially, uh, because everybody has to outdo each other. Yes. There really is this social comparison process, and if I can't match up, either I've got to to just keep putting my my best forward to, to an unrealistic extent that I, I can't match up with it, 
or I, I just simply uh, recoil and, and, and I get real down on myself and I'm depressed and so forth. Uh, and that seems to be um, just a, a sad state of affairs that we've, we've uh, fallen into in our society. And again, with adolescence, where it's such a, a difficult time in terms of establishing your identity and establishing what's really important and who you are, and, and now to be faced with this constant social comparison process is, uh, is uh, just adding to the, to the turmoil of adolescence. Peter, not only that, but you're, fe- you're trying to feed your, your Facebook uh, timeline with things that are just the, the pinnacle in life. And is that really who you are? And you know, it might be nice every once in a while to say, here we, here we are having the best night ever, but when you compare yourself to all the events you see on your Facebook timeline, you start to think that y- your life isn't going very well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that's, that's one of the things that I think uh, intellectual humility uh, and humility in general should help us with, and that is not to try to always do the social comparison process, uh, social comparisons that we're doing uh, with other people. Uh, but, uh, but that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Peter, what do you think about people that kind of do the humble brag where they're, you know, they're trying to let you know yeah. that uh, they've got a lot going on and I don't have a lot of humility here, but maybe that doesn't connect to intellectual humility, but it does just let you know that I got a lot of game. You know, I I can't I can't go to that game with you tomorrow. I've oh, I've got to get my Ferrari serviced. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Uh, the real <laughs> message is uh, I'm bragging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a yeah yeah we call it a humble brag, but uh, uh, but it is. Uh, you know, now sometimes there, there might be good reasons, you know, if, if I'm Tom Brady, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I can throw a football pretty yes, well. Yes, you can uh, be the GOAT. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's an accurate view of oneself. But right. the problem is if we err, we tend to err in the direction of overstating <laughs> our strengths. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So Peter Hill is my guest. Uh, are there programs that target intellectual humility as, say, a mechanism that that can help society function better. Yeah, there, there, there are a few now. Uh, here at Biola, we've got an interesting one going. There's, uh, uh, it's actually part of a nationwide effort. Still very small, but it's it's across, across the nation where uh, we are trying to get where where we know that there are going to be differences between people, and uh, being at a Christian institution. Uh, we've got a group of students, volunteers, uh, I th- don't think they're getting any credit or anything such as that for it, who, uh, who then line up and spend time with uh, a like, similar group of students from a secular uh, university. And they spend a lot of time together. It's all very supervised. They actually spend a weekend together. Uh, they come and live in each other's dorms. Uh, and and uh, spend uh, the, that entire weekend in discussion on on issues where where they differ, and it's amazing. Uh, we've only done this now uh, two semesters here at Biola, but it's amazing uh, how the students come away with 
you know, some real appreciation for some of the differences. And, uh, and again, it's not like they're compromising their, their, their convictions, their religious, strongly held religious beliefs, but they do recognize some commonalities that they have. And I think, again, it's a witness, uh, if you will, for them to the other students. So there are programs like that. There's one that I'm particularly uh, impressed with, and maybe some of your readers, uh, it's becoming fairly well known. So maybe some of your uh, listeners uh, uh, are familiar with it called Braver Angels. Hmm. And uh, Braver Angels is really dealing primarily in the area of political beliefs. But it, it is the idea, it was once called Better Angels, uh, using the term from uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. They changed it for some reason to the term braver angels, but in some ways it requires a certain courage uh, in order to be an angel uh, that is willing to uh, openly discuss and be transparent about political issues and, and social issues of the day. And they try something very different than that program I was just mentioning here at Biola. They actually have, have organized uh, debates that follow parliamentary procedure. And uh, and that's uh, something that we're also trying here on campus, mm. where there are even differences even within a, a Christian uh, group of students. So that's that's an effort. I, I sat in on uh, one of their conferences a few years ago and found it fascinating. Real quickly, I'll just point out. We've got about uh, 30 seconds left. Okay, we've got we've got people of like-mindedness, uh, maybe they're, they're Republicans or Democrats, and we discuss issues with them, and then across the table are the opposite, the other group, and then we dis- discuss across the table. And what we find is there's a lot more similarities in the discussions within each group uh, along with the discussions between the groups. That's fascinating. Than what would be expected. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. That's the kind of stuff that's going on that I think is is uh, is positive. Thank you so much, Peter Hill. Great to meet you and have you on the program. That wraps up our Thank show you. for the day. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Ooh. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.